Hello, my children. It's been a minute. <laughs> I have to laugh because <laughs> it's, it's been a while for all of us. Um, I'm back. And I want to apologize for my absence, but at the same time, I don't want to apologize for my absence because it's been a pandemic and we're all in the pandemic together and we're all getting through this as we can. I pray that you are blessed and I pray that you are safe and secure and that you're alive and well and that your loved ones are alive and well. But let's get down to it, girls. Um, recently, the revelation that um, your white faves don't wash their asses. <laughs> I mean, I can't. I can't. And I don't know what to tell you. They're saying it. Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, Jake Gyllenhaal, Kristen Bell, her husband, Dax Shepard, they all said, we take a bath once a week, twice a week, sometimes. I mean, that's disgusting. I'm just gonna say it. You can call it a moral judgment if you want to. It's disgusting. And especially when you look at the history of how race works in America. And you can Google it yourself. Your Google ain't broke. There are literal advertisements around the time of Jim Crow and Reconstruction advertising black women getting clothes, glistening, gleaming white, and this idea that Asian Americans and black Americans are just not clean, that we're dirty, and that contributed to um, enabling us to be thrown into ghettos and for white liberals not to care because they bought the propaganda that we were dirty and that a darker skin hue means you're dirty, right? And that's why among black people, a lot of our parents and grandparents were super, were, were like Joan Crawford in cleaning. Talking about Joan Crawford, because white celebs could take a cue from Joan Crawford. Yes, because girl, she was clean. <laughs> if somebody was not going to be dirty, it was going to be Miss Joan, girls, Miss Joan. Um, but in all seriousness, and this is why you love this podcast, because I, I can switch from the, from the, uh, from the, the sublime to the, to the ridiculous in a second, but that is just a fact. The contextualization of how cleanliness is next to godliness is next to whiteness. You can, um, misuse scriptures in the Bible to, to do this. And this is what slave owners did. Um, whiter than snow, wash me and I will be whiter, whiter than snow, you know. Um, and this, uh, this obsession with whiteness and that meaning cleanliness. Um, and then even Dove and um, Nivea got into trouble a few years ago from these ads where in the, in the succession of images, black women literally went from black to Asian to white and taking off these shirts like a black woman had on a brown shirt and then she took the shirt off and turned into an Asian woman and she took her yellow shirt off and changed into a white woman. Like Dove got wrecked over the coals for that as they should have been. 
Um, and then if you do your, your research, you'll see that Unilever, that I, I don't use Dove anymore because of those ads, but Unilever that makes Dove actually makes skin bleaching products to this day in Asia and Africa. So they're still in the business of telling darker skinned people, you need to be white. And we're gonna help you do that. So in the context of that, the reason why all these white celebrities who, who come with this, you know, they sell their attract, attractiveness as part of their allure, allure right? The, the mainstream white capitalistic gaze, G-A-Z-E, sells on sex and appeal, right? You do well in Hollywood based on a little bit of your talent and access, which is privilege. But two or one, the, the people that get awards, um, the people who are making the big, the big buck paydays, it, it really boils down to two things. And I'm going to be profane again. And pardon my French, but it's just the way it is. We'll clean it up a little bit so everyone can listen to this podcast, even though I swore earlier. It boils down to two things. Are you someone a white straight man wants to have sex with? And or are you someone a white straight man wants to be friends with? Do they want to have sex with you or do they want to be friends with you? Now, clearly, if you're a mother figure or a father figure, that ropes in. We'll put that into the friend category. But are you Scarlett Johansson or are you Kevin Hart? Right? So that's like the, the two things. Like if, if you're uh, one they want to have sex with, Scarlett Johansson, someone they want to be friends with, Kevin Hart, or someone they want to be or be friends with is like a, a rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson or um, Jamie Foxx or Tom Cruise, you know. And then, of course, some of those men are in both categories for both. A lot of white straight men, there's a lot of homoeroticism there, right? Look at Tom Cruise's whole career. Whether you believe he's gay or bi or in the closet or not, his career has written on the fact that a lot of straight men liked Top Gun for reasons other than it being about planes. Pardon me, you hear the traffic that's outside of my apartment. <laughs> we'll wait. Traffic break. You can still kind of hear it in the background. Okay, it's gone. Um, so a lot of Tom Cruise's appeal and fame comes from the fact that white straight men want to be him. They want to also have some homoerotic feelings for him. Uh, so it ropes into that. So in all of those things, Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, Jake Gyllenhaal sit in at that nexus, right? You want to be, white straight men want to be them. They want to be friends with them. They want to have sex with them. So that's the zenith as far as Hollywood goes of that strata of person. And for someone who is white and privileged to say, well, I don't bathe that much, you can turn it around and look at it this way. What would happen if Viola Davis said that? What would happen if Angela Bassett said, oh, I only take a bath once a week? What would happen if Denzel Washington, um, Idris Elba, um, Jennifer Hudson, what if these black celebrities came out and said that? What would, would they, would they be still what's popping? Would they be cast? Would they be hot? Would they 
still fare as well in the public eye, in the Twitter sphere? Because all I've seen this week on, on Twitter is white people going mad saying, well, you know, you're not supposed to bathe it, just running to the defense. You're not supposed to bathe that much and, you know, you're stripping your skin of, it's what I keep hearing over and over again, which is driving me insane. You're stripping your skin of the natural oils if you take baths that much and, you know, uh, it, it's just really toxic for you. Somebody said it was toxic, which made me laugh. It's toxic to clean yourself. Honey, there's natural organic shea butter soaps. We have every kind of butter soap you can get. Almond butter soap, shea butter soap, uh, soap that's infused with all kinds of oils and, 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 and moisturizers. <laughs> Nobody's saying go out there and take a loofah, take sandpaper and a bar of ivory soap and scrub yourself to your bleeding, okay? Nobody said do that. But you need to bathe every day, right? We are literally in the middle of a pandemic that is spread by poor hygiene. Right? By not washing your hands, by not covering your mouth when you cough, and by not washing your hands. Like, that's how this pandemic is spread. Yes, through talking in the air and droplets, so wear your mask, but essentially also by, you know, if you cough, you have to cough into your elbow, and then you should be washing your hands with soap. Soap. So for these celebrities to come out here, these white celebrities to come out here in their privilege and say, oh, I only take a bath once a week, it's dreadful and disgusting. And if someone who's that rich isn't taking a bath every day, then what are poor white people doing? What are middle class white people doing? If, if Jake Gyllenhaal isn't washing his asshole, <laughs> I'm going to leave this in. Normally I would cut this out. But it just came out that way, and let's just be real. It's, it's 2021. We're in a pandemic. I think I said it was 2020 earlier. I, I just walked uh, four miles and jogged half of it. So I'm a little delirious. That's why I'm coming out more unfiltered than usual. Um, we're cursing. We're not cursing. We're, we're doing all the things here today. Um, <laughs> I swear to you, I'm completely sober. Um, I'm just high on life right now. So if Jake Gyllenhaal, of all people, doesn't wash his keister, then what's, what's Joe the plumber doing? You know? And these are the people who are you know, unvaccinated and who are spreading, you know, COVID-19 all over the place. Ugh, white people get it together. My white allies who do wash your asses, please call Aunt Becky and Uncle Joe and your friend Sam down the street and make sure that they're doing the same thing. Please, it's a matter of public safety. Hello, it's been a minute since we've been back. Oh, my children, wow. Um, how is everything? How was life for you during the pandemic? It's been a minute. So many things have transpired. Now, you're going to hear some background noise because I am coming to you from my closet. <laughs> and um, I have very noisy upstairs neighbors who have children. So you're probably going to hear a lot of stomping around, um, perhaps some screaming, some noise from upstairs. 
But I wanted to come to you today to talk about a very, very, very important topic. We recently had an anniversary. Now normally, an anniversary is something that is celebration. I mean, you literally celebrate on wonderful days, right? Birthdays and um, graduations and the anniversary of weddings and all of these things. This anniversary was not a good one. And I'm speaking of a date that I had posted on to my social media and a lot of people in my circles were shocked and appalled. They were not familiar of a date that truly, to use the phrase, lives in infamy. That date is May 13th, 1985, which is the move bombing in Philadelphia. Um, one of the only times to my knowledge, pardon, as I, as the words came out of my mouth, I think about Tulsa and Rosewood, but this is one of the few times that the state, uh, America has bombed its own citizens within the United States of America. The city of Philadelphia on May 13th, 1985 dropped a literal, actual bomb on the move house in Philadelphia. In this bombing, there were 11 victims, adults and children, and the only two survivors of this bombing were a child by the name of Birdie Africa and an adult by the name of Ramona Africa. So before we go further into this, this assassination, murder, um, there are so many different things you could call it. I want to honor our black brothers and sisters murdered and say their names. So the children who were murdered on May 13th, 1985 were um, Katricia Dotson, who had um, been named Tree Africa, Zanetta Dotson, her sister, Netta Africa, Phil Phillips, Phil Africa, Delita Orr, Melissa Africa, and Tommaso Lavino, uh, Tommaso Africa. Those are the children and the adults who were murdered by the bombing by the city of Philadelphia, Raymond Foster Africa, Conrad Hampton Africa, Frank James Africa, Rhonda Harris Ward Africa, Teresa Brooks Africa, and Vincent Leapart John Africa. John Africa is the founder of the MOVE organization. And the thing that you probably, if you've never heard of this, if this is new to you, you're asking what was the MOVE organization. You can think of it as a family. It was a family. It is a family. It still exists. 
And if you combined the Black Liberation Movement of the Black Panthers with um, vegan green movement of today, uh, in ecology, you have an idea of what the move organization family was and is. It's about, uh, they were anti-technology. Uh, they were about uh, family communal living, uh, socialism, you know, the cooperative, the group providing for each other. Um, they had their own animals, so they um, raised their own food. Now, when I said animals and you heard the word vegan, they were mostly vegetarian. So they raised the children vegetarian, um, the adults who were not used to vegetarian food, because you, you can understand that some adults came into this, you know, as fully formed human beings. So um, it's much easier to adapt a child to veganism, obviously. Vegetarianism, pardon. There's a strict difference. Some were vegan, but mostly were vegetarian. Uh, so it's much easier to uh, raise children not dependent on beef, right? than fully formed adults who then have to give it up. So there were some who did and some who didn't. But that's in a nutshell what they were. So so let me go back to the beginning of what was happening with the MOVE organization in Philadelphia and their, um, their sort of interactions with the police state. So in the 1970s, the city of Philadelphia began to routinely um, harass and then assault on the street, beat and jail MOVE members. What were they doing? Um, they had a house and uh, basically they would move, uh, sometimes they would move huge logs from the riverbank to in front of the house. Um, there was a hearing, there was a public hearing after the bombing. I'm going to jump around a lot today, people. There's a lot of information to cover and to go over, so it's going to move. I am literally in my closet. I just proved it. You can hear the hangers uh, clanging because um, I'm gesticulating with my hands. But I'm going to jump around a lot, so just get over that. <laughs> um, there was a public hearing, and in the public hearing... Um, sort of a post-mortem, literally, uh, in what the uh, how the police handled the situation, how the state handled the situation. It came out that from some of the neighbors, the black neighbors, I should say, of the MOVE organization, that they were complaining about the wood uh, that the MOVE organization was piling up in front of their row house that they occupied. So the neighbors complained and the MOVE organization listened and they moved the wood to the roof of the row house. So it was out of sight and out of mind. Um, the MOVE organization did start breaking up the sidewalk in front of the house because they felt it was um, impeding their connection to the ground, to the earth, right? Um, so they were doing some things that were different. They were different. They weren't hurting anybody. They weren't um, attacking anyone. They were just different, and they were living different. You know, they grew their hair naturally, so they had locks. Um, it's a sign of the time that when you research them in the news, they consistently call them dreadlocks. 
We know what that history is about, right? They wore locks, and that upset people. That was revolutionary at the time to wear locks. Apparently, it still is today because we had to literally pass laws to allow people to wear their hair naturally. So um, people were upset about that. And the police had some noise complaints from neighbors because occasionally the MOVE members would, they did have a, um, a speaker attached to the front of the house and they would, I'm laughing because of how jarring it could be, they would go on rants at times. Uh, and sometimes they were expletive-laced rants. And if you want to hear it, you can watch the documentary, Let the Fire Burn, which is where I'm getting a lot of my facts, along with some articles that I googled from the Philadelphia newspapers, from the New York Times, and other news sources, other vetted newspaper sources. I don't use blogs. Um, but they would go on these expletive-laced rants at times, and this was a neighborhood where, you know, kids are playing in the street. And so the neighbors did register some noise complaints. I want, let's be clear, that that is basically what this organization, quote-unquote, did to upset the police. They went on rants, audio rants, calling the police MFs, using the word GG, um, calling them the F word a lot, pigs, F word, and that's it. There was an occasion where one member stood up on the top of the row house with a assault rifle, didn't aim it at anybody, didn't shoot anybody, police came out, they sent out three dozen police to surround the building, and they had what the news reported was quote-unquote a standoff, when once again this lone individual who was on the roof, who had on a mask, who had a rifle, interesting when you think about January 6th, right, they had the right to do that and were escorted into the White House and escorted out of the White House. These angry mobs of white people with guns, loaded guns and weapons. But this one black person who was standing on the roof of this building who was masked posed such a threat that the Philadelphia police sent out three dozen cops to, to find out what was going on. Nothing happened. No charges were filed. Um, no one was injured that day. And then they left. So you can see how the police are literally harassing these people because of a noise complaint? Because of several noise complaints? It, it's, it gets quickly out of control. So August 8th, 1978, the city of Philadelphia fires 10,000 rounds of ammunition on unarmed MOVE members in an attempt to kill them <laughs> basically um somehow all the move members live uh they survive this attempt uh, however in this melee uh, an officer by the name of uh, john rump uh, was killed and it is that officer's death his murder um, that ended up in nine members of MOVE being arrested for basically 30 years in prison. 30 years. Now, the 
once again, the officer's name was John Rump. And it gets really shady here when you try to work out who actually shot this officer. And I'm going to I'm saying that because in the later May 13th, 1985 actual bombing uh we have uh an interview in this the hearing of this officer this white officer who talks about how he was being attacked by friendly fire so there's a white officer who's been heralded as a hero because he scooped up a uh, little child john africa uh, the white officer's name, who was really sort of looked at, painted as a hero by the news media, I should say. Um, that white officer's name, going back through my notes here, because I don't want to mispronounce it or misspell it or give you. Police officer James Berghire, B-E-R-G-H-A-I-E-R, scooped up Little Birdie Africa. But he talks about the fact because I want to get back to the August incident. He talks about the fact that on the 13th, that he and a fellow officer had to hide from the automatic weapons fire, friendly fire that was coming at them. So once they got past a barricade that MOVE had set up, they're being shot at by their own police. So because of the friendly fire on that day, that's why I'm saying... Uh, the attack on August 8th by the police on move. It seems like John Rump was shot by his own fellow officers again. <clears throat> because these move members were inside, once again, this house. And as Ramona Africa, the only living survivor now of the original move movement, who were in that house on the 13th. So the two dates that I'm referring to to keep us clear, because it can get confusing are August 8th, 1978, and May 13th, 1985. May 13th, 85 was the bombing. August 8th, 78 was when the cops first sent over three dozen cops to shoot up the move members and, and unloaded 10,000 rounds of ammunition. So it's, it's overkill, first of all, because there aren't even, there, there's a handful of people in this house. You're shooting into a residential neighborhood and this you know is already giving you echoes of Breonna Taylor right so this is also why it's important to talk about because history is repeating itself we can look at 1978 and draw a straight line to to today with Breonna Taylor right um, just shooting into random houses um, at will just blindly shooting into houses this is a residential neighborhood um, why are you doing that right but because of what happened on the 13th and the white officer saying in newspaper, in print, in an interview, that he was uh, being hit, shot at by his own police officers, I'm going to go ahead and say that it, it's kind of up in the air. There's no proof um, that the nine move members killed this officer and... The police, it is a fact that the police had raided the move house before and had removed guns that were literally incapable of firing. So then there's another mystery of, okay, so these guns were just props, perhaps? 
because you're you're removing guns that uh, aren't capable of firing. So again, how is this person shot? Oh, maybe one of the more than three dozen cops you <laughs> deployed murdered your own cop. So that's very shady and questionable. When we get back to May 13th, 1985, um, it, it, it is... It's really crazy. You need to watch this documentary, Let the Fire Burn. Um, in watching it, you get so enraged and then simultaneously saddened and then just exhausted. But it's important to watch and to know about its history. And past is prologue, as Shakespeare said, because it keeps repeating itself. Um, when the city of Philadelphia dropped a literal bomb on the move house um, the fire commissioner and I'm going to give you his name in a minute sorry the police commissioner William Richmond said I would like to let the fire burn these are his own words from the public hearing you can see it in the documentary That fire burning in the house not only killed everyone in the house but Ramona Africa and Birdie Africa, but it also destroyed 60 reports keep changing from what I see. Um, the newspaper said 62 homes. The documentary said 61 homes. So I'm going to go ahead and say 62. The Philadelphia newspaper said 62 homes burned. 62 homes were burned down to the ground. 250 people were left homeless. Now, later in a lawsuit, um, $12.83 million were awarded in damages to residents displaced by the 1985 bombing in 2005. However, in 2000, the homes that the city of Philadelphia rebuilt were literally condemned because of shoddy construction. And if we're saying that there were 250 people left homeless, $13 million distributed among 250 people. What is the math even on that? Let me do it real quick. I mean, 12.83. This is crazy. Um, what is it, like $50,000 a family? I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's a joke, right? It, it's literally a joke. Um... I've got like maybe one million dollars a family maybe which is crazy for your whole house being burned down to the ground like 20 years ago it's, it's insane it's insane um so if we look at the so so that i didn't want to get to the financial compensation just because that needs to be dealt with i guess so they sp spread out 12.83 million dollars among the 250 people left homeless and then in 1996, Ramona Africa was awarded $500,000 by the city of Philadelphia. So they found that the police were negligent, although no officers were ever charged in this murder. It is a murder of multiple adults and children. Um, so they just paid her money, $500,000. She has a permanent scar on her arm that you can see in the documentary from the fire. Right. Um, 
sadly, 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 um, Michael Birdie Africa died in 2013, and he was 41. He died on a in a hot tub on a cruise ship, which also then just sounds strange, right? Like Whitney Houston supposedly died in a bathtub too. Like, come on, these are hmm, interesting, right? <clears throat> I'm not trying to connect Whitney Houston to 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 uh, Birdie, but these are just suspicious deaths, right? At 41, he died in a hot tub on a cruise ship in 2013. So now Ramona Africa is the only person left from that day. And she is a wonderful, strong woman who um, is still an activist to, to this day and still working. I hesitated to use the word strong because of the strong black woman trope, but she just, to survive that and to survive false imprisonment and then still come out and still be as as powerful and uh, as brave an activist as she is today is strong. I mean, I don't fortitude. Um, so I'm just gonna lay my phone down here. I have all these facts here on the phone, and I just gotta say, um, in in 2021, when we're in a global pandemic and the murders of unarmed Black people just continue to proliferate our screens and our social media feeds this anniversary of the move bombing was so pivotal to me because it's like people think this is new and this goes back to 78 and we can even go back i mean i dropped it before but we can go back to the tulsa bombing in the 20s right we can go back to ever before whenever black people organize and do something different or make our own communities, the state, which is white supremacist, comes in and says, no. But this was the craziest to me. I mean, this is a city dropping a bomb on its own citizens. I, I can't stress that enough. How, how sick, how sick that is. So the details of that, uh, the police loaded a satchel with four rounds of Tovex, and C4 plastic explosive on a 45 second fuse, knowing that women and children were in that basement. Knowing that. Um, it just the fact that, you know, the city cut off water and electricity to the building and they announced on a loudspeaker attention, move, this is America. You have to follow the laws of the United States. Can we review for a second again what they had done that was so atrocious? We're talking noise complaints. Noise complaints. I mean, literally, you're hearing people move around my head now because they're making noise. That would be like police dropping a bomb on this building because I had called and complained about the people above my head. Are, are you serious? Noise complaints? That's what you're talking about? So clearly they were attacking something else, which is the audacity of black people to think that they can live in a different way, right? The audacity of black people to call out the state police and call them MFers on a loudspeaker. We wouldn't even go into the vocabulary of 45 that is perfectly fine today. Or Marjorie Taylor Greene who can stalk Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or David Hogg with her gun and yell expletives at them, that's fine. But, you know, these people in the MOVE organization 
exercising their free speech is not okay and is punishable by death, apparently, right? Later, police recovered four guns from the wreckage of the move house and none of them were capable of automatic fire. That is important because um, George Sambor, uh, who was the police commissioner, so I got to go back because I need to correct myself. So George Sambor was the police commissioner and um, the fire commissioner was William Richmond. So they, they both were talking about letting the fire, would like to let the fire burn. The police commissioner said that they were fired upon first. The wonderful and or bad thing, you know, much like we keep talking about um, police cam clamor video today and we're so thankful for it because it documents our oppression and, and it documents our murder in public. And we wouldn't be believed if it weren't for this video. Uh, the 1985 bombing is totally on, it's on live television. Every studio, TV studio in Philadelphia, news studio was on location. And you can hear the automatic fire starting first. So the fact that they removed four guns from the house after the blaze that were incapable of, of fire, that were not automatic weapons, tells you that the move people did not start shooting first. They didn't start first. The first sound you hear on live television is automatic weapon fire. So once again, just like with John Rump, if, if anybody was, you know, if any officers were injured, it was from automatic fire from the police. The move residents did not have automatic weapons because those the guns they removed were not automatic so that that's very important and and aside from that because i i don't even want to get into a conversation of well they deserve to be burned down to the ground because somebody fired a gun once again we are in this climate now where everyone is supposed to, you know the right to bear arms is what republicans keep one talking about and you know they want to walk around with guns in target and walk around with guns everywhere and just point to January 6th. So which is it? Are you just saying that only white people can carry guns? Only white people have the right to bear arms? Which is it? And then again, when they seized the guns previously at MOVE, they weren't even capable of being fired. And they didn't have any automatic weapons. So it just becomes astonishing and not astonishing, sad and predictable how quickly logic flies out the window and anti-blackness shows up and anti-blackness is so evident, right? We are not um, dropping a bomb on your house because of some noise complaints. We're dropping a bomb on your house because you blankety blank inwards have the audacity, right? You have the audacity to critique the state out loud. You have the audacity to wear your hair natural. You have the audacity to speak out against white supremacy um, and be um, militant about it. You know, they're fine with us marching and singing. They're fine with us holding hands. They're fine with us um, uh, playing along with respectability politics. But any time a black person raises their voice or any time a black person 
gets uh, aggressive in our protestations against our own oppression, then it's time for the state to drop a bomb on your house and firebomb the whole neighborhood. I mean, this is just... <sighs> wow. So what I want you to do, the action that I want you to take, listener, is to Google the move bombing. Watch the documentary. It's on Amazon Prime, um, but you can also purchase it through um, Apple. Um, and then there are bits of it on YouTube, but there's also a mini documentary on YouTube from Vice where they interview Ramona Africa. Educate yourself on this, because if you don't know that the state is capable of literally dropping a bomb on black people, you are living in a fool's paradise. Thanks for coming back. Stick with me. I'll be with you more frequently. The Great Flood has spoken.